Welcome to Let's Talk CP, the new podcast series about all things cerebral palsy, presented by the Cerebral Palsy Foundation. Each episode features different clinicians, parents, people with CP, and other experts talking about ways to help you better navigate your journey with CP. I'm Jason Benetti, play-by-play announcer of the Chicago White Sox and ESPN, and I have CP. And I'm your host, Cynthia Fresina, the Vice President for the Cerebral Palsy Foundation, creator of National Cerebral Palsy Awareness Day, and most importantly, mom of two wonderful daughters. My youngest daughter, Catherine, has CP and is the reason I got involved for advocating for CP research in other families. On today's launch episode, I'm so excited to have two incredible people on with me two incredible moms, two incredible advocates, Wendy Sullivan and Jennifer Lyman. Um, They're also really good friends of mine and friends of the foundation and the CP community. Wendy and Jennifer, welcome. So glad to have you here today. Thanks for having us, Cynthia. Awesome. Well, first of all, before we even get into today's episode and what we're going to focus on, it would be great for our whole community to have you both introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about about who you are and and why you agreed to be on this podcast with us. Thanks, Cynthia. I'm Wendy Sullivan, and I, too, am a mom of a daughter with cerebral palsy. Uh, She is now 18 years old, so she's not a child anymore. But I, um, she has a form of cerebral palsy. It's called left hemiparesis because she had a stroke in utero. And um, I'm very thankful to be able to be a part of this. And I know I wish I would have had a conversation or a place to go before I had, when I was working with Kelsey growing up to learn more about cerebral palsy and issues and medical opportunities. Yes, I know that's, you know, that's part of the reason that we wanted to do this podcast and have moms like you, parents like you on with us is to provide a lot of information and support that we never actually had when our kids were very young. Jennifer, let's, uh, let's hear from you a little bit about your, um, your background and thank you again for joining us today. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Cynthia. And thank you, Wendy. Um, it's great to hear both of your voices. Um, yeah, I, I'm also a mom of a 15-year-old now, Bauer. He has quadriplegic CP, um, specifically mixed spastic dystonic cerebral palsy. He also has um, optic nerve hypoplasia and cortical visual impairment. Um, pretty significant speech um, issues. Um, but he, in general, he's awesome. He's happy. He's healthy. He's um into fitness and, um, you know, it's, it's neat to, to see a kid. People think of him as disabled and I'm, I always think I'm like, he's healthier than so many people I know. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I, I got, he was, he got his, I guess his CP is due to paraventricular glucomalacia, um, so damage to the white matter around the ventricles of his brain that occurred, um, shortly after he was born, um, premature 15 years ago. Um, and yeah, I'm just thankful to be part of this and be able to um, share our story and share what what we've been through um, over the past 15 years um, and hopefully um, provide some guidance to, to new families and, and, uh, and even older 
our families, you know, so I, I think we're all going through this together and we're all learning constantly um, about new tricks and, and ways to navigate, to navigate the journey. Absolutely. I mean, you two are probably some of the most knowledgeable parents I know uh, when it comes to navigating a CP journey. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have both of you on as our very first guests for our brand new podcast. Um, you know, today families are consuming information in all different ways, videos, fact sheets, websites, you know, word of mouth, social media, and podcasts are a newer uh, genre for cerebral palsy. I mean, Jen, you just started an awesome podcast called CP Health, and the Cerebral Palsy Foundation also is now wanting to, you know, really provide more information for families in bite-sized chunks and our series that we're kicking off and launching our whole podcast initiative is uh, called What to Expect. So we have the first three episodes are are going to focus on what to expect when you go to the doctor with your child, as well as what kind of questions to really ask your clinician. And this is going to cover a range of important topics, including understanding cerebral palsy better spasticity management, how to interact effectively with your clinician, especially questions to ask when a a clinician or a provider recommends a specific treatment or a procedure. It really can be overwhelming and confusing for families. So we're bringing in the experts with you two today, the parent experts that so many families are going to want to hear from. And first, the first question I want to ask to both of you is we've heard a little bit about your backgrounds, but you both do so much more uh, in addition to just being a parent and being a mother. You're both very active in the field and wondered if you could share a little bit about what you do in the cerebral palsy community what you, you know, what you, you've been both been doing things for a long time and, and what made you decide to, to do that? So if you briefly could both share a little bit about that, I know, I know families in our community would be really interested in hearing that. Um, Jen, why don't you go first? Um, we'd love to hear your story. Sure. Um, well, I, I, I don't know if it's fate or fortune or, um, or, or what the universe worked for me, um, before I had Bauer, um, I was a case manager for kids with pretty significant disabilities in therapeutic foster care. Um, I actually, and prior to that, I was a, a recreation therapist uh, with children with significant disabilities. Um, I also worked with adults with cerebral palsy and um, had worked in group homes and um, on the ski slopes and um, did a lot of research in dance and movement. Um and so I, I almost feel like my, my life was meant to raise a kid with a disability. I don't know. It, it was, um, I, I just feel so fortunate to have Bauer and to also have experience, um, that, you know, on the other side as a case manager, especially, and, and actually as a recreation therapist too, because I really, the focus on participation and the focus on physical activity and, um, things like that were, kind of came easily to me, I think a little bit easier than it has for my husband. Um, but the case management part um, really, really was helpful, especially early on. Um, so that's, that's how I got into it. And then moving forward, um, 
you guys are both have both been involved with the Cerebral Palsy Collaborative, which we all started together um, to help with the work that you were doing, Cynthia um, and Wendy, both of y'all, to advocate for um, the appropriations language um, and the federal appropriations bill for cerebral palsy. Um, and really getting all of the um, different nonprofits to work together um, to sign off on this letter for this advocacy. Um, and then uh, last year, I went back to school in health education and just because I felt like I wanted to learn a little bit more about how to be more effective. And, oh, gosh, and, and Wendy, you're, you're the past chair and I'm the current chair of um the American Academy for Cerebral Palsy and Developmental Medicine. Which is incredible. Council. Yeah, I mean, um, it's incredible what you both do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Wendy, let's let's uh, hear a little bit more about why you decided to get more involved and do all the extra extra things that you do in the CP field. Sure. So I, um, before having my children, was in the healthcare industry. I was in the pharmaceutical industry and worked with physicians and called on hospitals and doctors uh, in a lot of different areas, neurology, psychiatry, gastroenterology, but nothing that had to do specifically with cerebral palsy. And after Kelsey was born, I was quite interested to find the latest research on what was being done, the latest treatments. Um, and as I did the searches, what I normally would do in the pharmaceutical world and look for double-blinded placebo-controlled trials, I didn't see much of that. I felt called that this was a place for me because, one, I knew that it would benefit, hopefully, my child and children for many, many years to come. So it became a passion of mine. So I then was an executive board member of Reaching for the Stars, and we've done many trips to Washington, D.C., and now I'm a Circle Advisory Board member at the Cerebral Palsy Foundation and continue um, advocacy work and also um, continue on the community council of the AACPDM, as Jen had mentioned. Awesome. So you two are the best parents I can think of to help us launch this podcast. And I want to jump right into questions that many of our families have. Um, as you know, the Cerebral Palsy Foundation has a large social media presence on Facebook and Instagram, and we get questions all the time from families. And one of the burning questions that families ask us and you two would be great to be able to provide your opinion and your insight on this is what advice would you give to families, especially those who might be earlier on in their CP journey, children of any age, but those who are early on and haven't navigated this whole process yet in terms of questions to ask their clinician in an appointment, especially those, you know, how do you prepare effectively for these appointments? How do you, you know, how do you really recommend from your experience um, setting up those appointments and asking uh, questions, especially if a clinician is recommending a treatment or procedure that you're not familiar with? Jen, I'd love to hear your, uh, your uh, thoughts on that. Sure. Well, I, I, I guess I'd like to start out with before you even see the clinician. Um, uh, when you call to schedule the appointment, I highly recommend 
talking to the scheduler and asking for an extended appointment in advance. Um, they'll automatically, usually when you call to make an appointment, they'll set you up with a 15-minute appointment with your doctor. You're going to need longer than that. Yes. <laughs> and, oh and just to right. <laughs> make, make that appointment, the 45-minute appointment, um, that the scheduler might need to ask your doctor or make a, you know, make a separate phone call and get authorization to do this, but it's well worth it because it will let your doctor know in advance that you've got a lot of things to talk about. Um, it will also allow them to block a bigger chunk of time so they won't feel rushed. Um, and, you know, so I feel like the conversation once you get in with your doctor will be um, easier and it, it won't seem as, as rushed as some of these 15 minute appointments can really feel. Um, so that's my, my first little bit of advice. However, your institution or physician's office does this. Um, just make sure that you ask for that extended appointment. Oh, that's a, um, such a great suggestion. I, Thanks. Um, I guess there's two things. I I really do recommend writing questions out in advance, um, both your questions and your ask. So bring a notebook um, or whatever it is that you use, if it's on your iPad or iPhone and, and it's in your notes, whatever, however you take your notes, um, make sure you have your questions written out um, and also have your ask written out. So and, and have it kind of an ongoing, you know, up prior to start thinking about it from prior to when you make your appointment, just have an ongoing list of things because they come to mind when you're driving down the road and pull over and write it out. Um, but, you know, do you need a, you know, is there certain equipment that you need that you, that you think about and forget about when you're not using it? Um, are there, you know, is it time for your child to get new orthotics? Is there, um, something, a gait trainer or something else that you're going to need a prescription for. You know, these things take a lot of time to um, get approval and um, the physicians have to have, you know, they've got a lot of letters that they've got to write and coordination they have to do. So knowing in advance um, that these are requests that you're going to need um, are really helpful to, to be able to have written down and, and ra- raring to go when you get into the appointment. I guess another thing that I really, um, this is the case manager in me, um, I did this for all of the children I did case management for. So I, I feel like when Val was born, um, it was it was just ingrained in, in my system. Um, but I had a I had a book, I had a binder, um, and I created a binder that it the first page of the binder um, is a is a list of all of my son's doctors. Um, you know, I, I always ask for their business cards. So yeah, I've got a business card section in there as well. But just a typewritten list of all of the doctors, um, their phone numbers, their addresses, all of that kind of stuff. The second section is the um, our goals. Um, at the time when we first created the binder, we had a um, we worked the three kind of thing. So we had an I an individual family service plan. And so we wrote out the goals um, for him, and I had that in there. And then after that, by system, by um, body body system, um, I have his medical records and I know a lot of people are using electronic medical records but I find I still to this day have this thing and it's earned the unfortunate name instead of a scrapbook it's our crap book but (laughs) 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 and you know what everybody gets a chuckle out of it and you gotta laugh when when you're carrying around a four inch binder (laughs) but it's that's so it's true. been tremendous. 
you know, it's been tremendously helpful over the years. So those are the main, my main things just in preparing for the appointment and, um, you know, that you just know, brings uh, up, that just, brings up a great uh, question that I have for Wendy, because I think um, I wish when when Catherine, my daughter, was young, that someone older and wiser and been around the block had told me the things that you just said, Jen. I didn't know at the beginning to, to do all of those things. But Wendy, I have a question for you. And that is one of the things I think so many uh, families struggle with at any age, but particularly at the beginning is how, you know, how do you, what advice do you have of how parents should go about even finding the right clinician or clinicians for their child? I think the terms are confusing in uh, physiatrist, neurologist, orthopedic mm-hmm. surgeon. Uh, there's so many different kinds of providers and clinicians that parents may not have, you know, understand the difference between them all. And then who do you go to? Wendy, what's, what's some of your advice as you've navigated, you know, the, the past 18 years uh, with Kelsey to other parents about how to, how to what, think about finding the right, you know, set of providers for your child? What are some of the steps, you know, that you might recommend of how a, how yeah. a family might go about that? Yeah, that is a great question because there is so much. Uh, cerebral palsy is a term that can be over many, many, many disciplines. I was writing down as Jen was saying because my binder turned into full. I just kept them in folders. So when I walked in, I didn't scare the doctors because there were so many. We had ophthalmology, neurology, neurosurgery orthopedic surgeon, PT, you know, physical therapist, occupational therapist, vision therapist, speech therapist, it, it becomes overwhelming. But I do think trying to find a really strong quarterback is one of the, and I'm using that term loosely because they, you know, kind of help the team go where they're going. If you can find a pediatrician that is knowledgeable about cerebral palsy and can help direct you at first, um, navigate the specialist. Um, sometimes if they are in with one of the larger health systems in an area, they can help maybe get your appointments a little bit earlier with the specialist. I know at first, sometimes you really want to start seeing people to get help and you'll make a phone call and they'll say it's three to four months down the road, it's six months down the road. And that just doesn't seem acceptable, especially now that we know that the earlier you can get interventions, the better off children can be many times if they are doing that. So I would, um, if you, I, I would maybe interview a couple pediatricians. I know they're also developmental pediatricians. That was a little challenging for me. I didn't seem to find a lot of help there, but my pediatrician was pretty good at helping us see and being that quarterback, looking at different test results and saying, okay, let's be sure to get you into neurology, pediatric neurology, um, neuro, you know, neuro, you know, and kept all the things together in one place and would do a good job every so often just having a little meeting like, okay, how's everything going at all of these different specialties? I think there's a lot more ratings on the computer now and reviews, but there definitely are some doctors that are better than others, either bedside manner or specialized in certain areas better. And I felt like after I talked to another parent that had a child with cerebral palsy, 
that maybe had a child with cerebral palsy that also had the visual impairment, um, you know, that it just made a big difference finding the right doctor. And having doctors recommend doctors is helpful sometimes, too, because they know their colleagues sometimes that better. Makes, they that, might know who might be. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, what's interesting, and Jen, I would be interested in your thoughts on this is, as we know, um, different parts of the country, different cities sort of handle developmental disabilities and CP in particular a little bit differently, it seems. And Jen, I wonder if your experience being in a different city um, was different uh, in terms of how you navigated finding a right a set of clinicians or thinking about it in general. And I know that you also didn't necessarily stay in your city for uh, medical care and you considered other options as well. Are there any, any suggestions uh, in addition to Wendy's great thoughts that you had in terms of selecting clinicians and putting together a care team? Well, um, guys, I might have to pause my son. I apologize. Um, my son is having a rough time right now. Um, he's, <laughs> I apologize. That's okay. Um, that's, part I, of the, that's part of the process. I know. <laughs> it's a real moment uh, in podcasting. We're, let, we're, we're good with that. Let me run into his bedroom real quick and just check on him. This is real life. And this is why we wanted moms on, on our <laughs> podcast, because everyone can relate right now <laughs> to this, to this whole situation. Um, so Jen, do you want to uh, collect yourself for a moment yeah. while I ask Wendy a question or? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. So Wendy, <laughs> Wendy, I do have a, another question uh, related to that. So many times uh, our different clinicians and providers recommend a specific treatment or procedure that we may not be familiar with. This happens pretty much to all of us at some point in our journey. It could be a procedure like botulinum toxin for spasticity, or it could be, you know, a surgical consideration or a vision consideration or physical therapy recommendation or whatever it might be. But are there questions when a clinician makes a recommendation like that? For example, botulinum toxin injections or, or something that's going to be maybe in more invasive. Um, are there questions that you recommend uh, that a parent could ask of a clinician to help give a little bit more clarity to that, that procedure or that treatment that's being recommended? We get asked this all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, it is hard to understand sometimes the scope and the so I do think there are some things to ask that can be helpful. Usually the questions are, you know, how will the procedure be performed? You know, how long will it take the day of? How long will the recovery be? What type of results should I expect? You know, high and low end. Um, I also find that a nurse sometimes um, can be a little more descriptive than a doctor. And might have some more, like, especially with surgeries, I think a lot of times not on purpose. Surgeons tend to say, oh, oh, you'll be better in a, you know, three days. And a nurse will be like, oh, you'll probably be more like a week before it, it starts feeling better because they hear more of the phone complaints. So I think some of that is helpful. Um, and then again, I, I do think going back, um, 
in doing some research uh, and being able to ask um, other parents. And sometimes, I mean, I did find getting a second opinion and sometimes a third opinion was helpful. And if it had to do with things like botulinum toxin or other orthopedic type surgeries, the physical therapist, um, Kelsey's pediatric physical therapist or occupational therapist, also had a lot of good information and had usually seen and been part of the recovery team for them. So I uh, felt like getting a number of different data points from different people that are working with your child or my child was very helpful um, for me. And then, like Jen said, kind of writing them down um, and, you know, making sure that to make the best decision that you can for your family. Yeah, for think, your child. I think that's such great advice because I think one thing that parents of children with CP struggle with, I know that I did, and I know that we've all discussed this as well, is um, early on when recommendations are given and treatment procedure information suggest, suggested is that research is hard to find and best evidence and, Mm -hmm. and whether things are FDA approved or not, or uh, it seems like many clinicians, you could go to 10 of them and they're all going to give maybe a slightly different recommendation of what they think is best for your child or how they might do a specific treatment. Um, Jen, I don't know if you're back with us. Yes, I am. Um, And I, I absolutely agree with everything both of you guys have said. Um, yeah, I, with, um, you know, everybody, it seems like everybody does things a little bit differently and, um, every child is a little bit different. I think that's part of the struggle with research in CP is that, you know, we, it's, it's, it's so varied. Cerebral palsy is so varied, um, that it's really hard for them to come out with, you know, specific standards and techniques that, um, that's going to work for every child. What works for, for Kelsey may not work for Bauer. Um, so really having that team approach and, and discussing it with the, the physical therapist, the occupational therapist, as well as um, whoever it is that's doing the botulinum toxin or the um, bony procedure or the tendon lengthening or whatever um, that may be. Um, yeah, and really having a, a that understanding of what the expectation of the outcome is supposed to be. Um, I feel like that's, that's a really important conversation that I think the physical therapists um, should really be having with the families. Um, you know, knowing um, what your child's DMFCS level is, having an understanding of that, and then having that conversation that really says, what is the, you know, what is the goal of this? So, Wendy, I really want to uh, focus in on your best advice you have for other families when it when it comes to interacting with doctors or therapists. If you could put yourself back in your early shoes, what is the best advice that you feel like you could give other families that you really wish that you would have known back then that you know now? Well, there is a whole thing around seeing doctors and um, you have to remember it's all about your child and you are there to advocate for them, but you need to be on the same team with your physician. So you want 
you want do want to ask the hard questions, but it is a team effort. And one of the things that I remember is how exhausting doctor's appointments are, especially if you do travel out of state and maybe see a couple different doctors, or even if you are in state and going to see a couple doctors in the same day or in two days back to back. So I would encourage, uh, first of all, prepare a little bit for that. Take um, snacks, you know, have favorite toys, all those types of things. Mentally prepare yourself. Um, And then I do think that it is important to remember that you are an advocate for your child and you do know your child best. A doctor may have a lot more training in certain medical areas, but you as a parent know that child. And I don't think that there is much more than a parent's intuition can give. Um, I mean, and so go with your gut always. Um, I think that is so important. And if something is telling you this is not right or this is not what I think is best for my child, then you can always pause. Um, this is a journey. Um, and it's a marathon with having a child with cerebral palsy. So, um, you know, I think that is important to have some mental preparedness, um, have a team for yourself. And so when you talk to doctors, you know, make sure to express yourself. And if you don't feel like they're understanding what you're saying, ask to say, can I explain that again? They, they are people and they are in their profession. So they do want to help children get better. Um, so those are just some of the things that I thought of off the top of my head, but, um, and have a support team behind you if you can, um, even though you're talking to doctors, even before you go, maybe talk it over with a family friend or another or your, you know, significant other, someone just to make sure you know what you're asking before you go and that it makes sense so you can explain what you want to say. That would be helpful as well. Awesome. That's such good advice. Jen, how about, how about you? Do you have other suggestions or advice, your best piece of advice for parents, other families, someone else going through the same journey that you've learned that you really wish you would have known earlier on and you know now? Well, I think I, Wendy is right on with um, the team approach. And um, I, I do really feel like that. Um, the most important, and we, I, I think you asked me earlier, we did travel a lot um, for for my son. We trying to put together a team, um, and and my my outlook on it was I wanted to find um, for each different aspect of uh, or, or need that my son had, I wanted to find a person who was doing the most research, who was um, who truly had invested their career in um, in the specific area that that we were looking at um and it definitely involved you know meeting some personalities and and um you know and these i found people that know so much about whatever it was whatever issue it was that that we were facing um but we still are the you know as a family we are the advocates for our child and we are sort of the team leader we're the quarterback um in that respect and especially if you're going out of state if you're going to different doctors around the country um, you are having to carry a lot of that load of, of communication between the different um, different entities. Um, but it is, you know, I, I really do stress that everybody's on the same team here. And um, if you feel like you've got a personality conflict or a, 
you just it doesn't feel right, it's okay. You don't there's lots of other doctors out there. Um and you can always find somebody else who um fits better with your team. Um so I think that's really important and not to be afraid to to try somebody else out. One thing that's great advice, both Wendy and Jen. One thing that I realized we didn't address, which would be great to hear your both of your perspectives on this, is we didn't really say or explain why a care team is useful and valuable for your child. I know that when Catherine was first diagnosed, I didn't even know, like, to think about that. I didn't know what a care team was or for a child with CP, why that was important, why there would be providers or clinicians from different uh, disciplines that might be useful to all be on Catherine's team. Would you have some thoughts about that for other families of, of what, you know, why a care team is important? For me, we did Kelsey's cerebral palsy. Like I said, she had an interventricular hemorrhage before she was born. That primarily the biggest thing, you, if you saw her, you would think, oh, she has a limb. She on her left side and her left arm is affected. But come to find out some of the bigger challenges was her um, cortical visual impairment. She had some eye, other eye issues that impacted how she walked even without maybe without the limping, without the motor skill part on the left side. So it was really important to have vision and physical therapy and occupational therapy because they really, it is a whole child. So having a care team, um, I think, is probably mostly important because there is the cerebral palsy affects so many different parts of the body. I think we all think of it. It is a motor a motor skill disability. How about you, Jen? I think... Well, it was funny. I was kind of hoping Wendy was going to answer the question first because I remember how um, <laughs> significant the vision issue was for Kelsey. I, Wendy, I remember you telling me this years ago, and um, and that it it wasn't. I, I believe I'm correct that they didn't realize it initially, um, and it wasn't until you, you. I think you picked up on it, Wendy, and um, and you realized. Wait a minute, her vision is impacting her more than. The, the physical part and so it was you that pulled that together um so it really goes back to the, the importance of mom knows best here um but yeah I, I i feel the same way as wendy having you know it's nice to have specialists who can look at you know vision for example or um or a hand use or how how the child copes in certain situations um or a, a behavioral psychologist um you know to to kind of you can get all the different opinions and, and pull them together, and um, and it, sometimes it makes things more more of a mystery. <laughs> sometimes it gets confusing, but I, I think it's helpful. Honestly, I just I feel like as a parent, we just we need to have as much information as we possibly can, and if we bury our heads in the sand and don't seek out the information um, for our child, then we can't advocate for a child um, the way we need to. Both of you have been so fantastic today, and I think we could all agree that in the last decade, there is so much more support and information and research and collaboration in the CP community than there was 10 years ago, which is wonderful. And I so appreciate on behalf of the Cerebral Palsy Foundation and really our whole community 
um, that you two were guests today. This has been fantastic. I would encourage that everyone join the conversation with your family, with your friends on social media. Let us know what you'd like us to cover, what kind of guests we can have on our podcast. Our What to Expect podcast series is made possible in part by the support of Ibsen Biopharmaceuticals. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk CP. I'm Jason Benetti, CPF ambassador and sports television announcer. If you like our show and want to know more, please visit our new CP resource page at cpresource.org, where you can listen to all of our episodes and subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in Let's Talk CP, we'd appreciate a rating. And please tell a friend or another family member about the show to help others and increase cerebral palsy awareness and education. Be sure to tune in to Let's Talk CP for our next episode. This podcast represents the opinions of our guests and the content should not be taken as medical advice. Each person and situation is unique, so please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.